Asia Pacific Report with Sanusha Naidu. Sanusha, very good morning to you. Welcome. I trust that you're doing good. Good morning to you. Yes, I'm well. How are you? I'm very good. Some reflections on the outcome of Taiwan's elections? Yeah, so that was a big election and we mentioned it last week in our report about how big it was and why it was very important to understand the outcome and, of course, the impact that the election would have, um, not just domestically, but I think uh, cross-strait relations as well, that's between Beijing and Taiwan. So the part, uh, the party that had been in power, the DPP, retained power, they've essentially been able to um, uh, get a good showing, a presidential showing at the election. And of course, they've now got, uh, Taiwan's got a new president. But why they haven't been able to sustain power or to be able to retain control is in the legislature. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic. Going forward, I think what's really interesting is three or four things that we need to look at. One is, this: what does this mean now for cross-strait relations? Because in the run-up to the election, Beijing had warned um, that, you know, Taiwan is not a separate national sovereign state. It's actually part of the mainland China. It's actually part of the one China policy. And so Beijing has now looking towards what does this mean in terms of the relationship? What does also mean in terms of the relationship that Taiwan will have with, with, the, with the US? And most of this centers around the, 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 the question of whether or not Taiwan will become much more emboldened going forward in terms of where does it find itself um, does it want to break away? Will it actually see a provocation um, to, 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 for conflict? And will this escalate or, or even at certain points uh, intensify the, relation, the, 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 the challenges around these questions around conflict and territorial sovereignty? The second point, I think, is how does this impact the region, and to, especially in terms of the volatility? You know, what does this mean? Because it's, it's, it's not something that Beijing is going to take lightly, but it's not something that Beijing also does not want to see uh, it becoming a sitting duck in a region where it feels that there's a lot of geostrategic competition, but there's a, also a lot of, uh, I would say, tensions that are mounting against Beijing. Um, Beijing firefights in the region. So I think Taiwan now has raised questions for Beijing in terms of what is the future trajectory of the one China policy and more importantly what is the what is the the, 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 the strategic ambit going forward. So this is gonna be critical in terms of those kinds of dynamics. And the last point is what does this mean for the global uh, engagement in terms of the global dynamics? And more importantly I think when you look at what Biden um, has done um, in terms of how the, they've agitated on, on Taiwan and more importantly whether or not the election in the US will see a return of Donald Trump also raises questions about what does this mean for uh, US-China relations over the situation in Taiwan. Now the Maldives tells India to withdraw troops by March 15th as it seems to be drawing closer to China. Yes, so the Indian Ocean Room, and in particular the Littoral Island states, have been a critical point of, of cont contestation, competition, and of course for for trying to push the the level of diplomacy. And, and India has always seen the um, 
the Indian Ocean and in particular the island states as their backyard and of course having more and more um, leverage over these countries. So what has happened is that India and Maldives and it's, it's always very interesting to watch because these island states you know in many ways don't necessarily always have the traction that they want. They're dependent on the resources, the development corporation. They're dependent on on, on larger countries like India for, um, for, 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 for resources. So this is where countries like India would leverage themselves and say, well, you know what, we, we've had this engagement. We'll continue to push forward. And in this case, uh, the... The, the, the relationship seems to be much more, um, I wouldn't say uh, strategic, but it's becoming much more difficult in the sense uh, to, to justify. And I think what's going on here is that um, the, the challenge uh, in many ways is around the, uh, the Indian troops that have been in, um, in in on on the island for um, I think quite a few for, for a few months now, and these soldiers are now being asked that they need to leave. And it's not only about China. I think it's also about trying to understand that what China does is essentially uh, playing its diplo- diplomacy in a way that it also wants to make sure that it gets leverage, it gets the support, it wants the support. And if you circle back to the Taiwanese co- uh, uh, story that we had now, one of the challenges there is that China just expects countries to support the one China policy. And I think it was Malaysia or Indonesia, one of the countries which essentially sent congratulations to the DPP winning the elections in Taiwan and the Chinese got very upset about that because they said well if you if you recognize Beijing as the one China then you can't necessarily recognize or even say diplomatically congratulations to Taiwan and this is becoming quite a quite a uh, what you call a, a space that we are not necessarily going to be seeing um moving away from it's a uh, it's a space that the, the 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 maldives has used um training capacity building etc from india and now they're saying well you need to leave and india's like okay we'll do but the point here is that these are issues that become much more about the geopolitics and the regional dynamics and then uh Tell us about the Japan butcher shops, uh, $2, uh, the crochets that have become so popular. It's like a 38-year waiting list. <laughs> that's a fascinating story because that story tells you that, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a shop that essentially you have in in uh, in Japan and that means that it's very popular in the sense. So the thing here is that this is, this is a, this is a, uh, uh, a shop that makes croquets and these croquets are essentially quite I'm told according to the report mouth-watering but it's it's a kind of beef that's used and it's Kobe beef croquets and the shop that that essentially makes this uh, is saying that they can't keep the order up the order is now six years waiting list 
And part of the 30 years waiting list is essentially it's the quality of the delicacy of the of the croquets. And that is what draws customers to this these these the shop because it's the cut of meat that they use. So around about two hundred croquets croquets are ordered daily or produced daily. The order list has sixty three thousand names and the latest editions will not be receiving their orders until the year twenty sixty two. And the reason for this is that it's the way that this has been done in terms of the art of the deep fried potato um, uh, and beef dumpling. And why it's, it's so fascinating to watch is that the beef that they use, as I said, it's A5 Kobe beef. It is a very rare delicacy in terms of ranking. And it shows that it's from a three-year-old cow that has been raised locally. And then this becomes a delicacy in terms of whether or not you actually go towards mass production and you basically undermine your quality. Or is it that you basically maintain the authenticity of what is a delicacy? And so what the butcher does is that he gets his, he uses the beef, which, as I said, is, is, is very important in terms of quality. And, it, and, and, and the potatoes are come, come from... Uh, I think it's called uh, Red Andes potatoes grown on a farm that only supplies the shop and are prized for their high sugar content. So, as you can see, it's also how this is all playing out in terms of keeping tradition, but also how this actually links to the kind of mass production of food and, of course, keeping what I think is a mom and pop uh, shop, but something that has been passed down through uh, tradition. Interesting. Uh, Sanusha, as always, thank you for your time. You're welcome. Have a great week. Go well. You too. Bye.